You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday 19th of September, overcast here in TW11, set for a couple of wet days before it warms up and dries out at the end of the week. Autumn delights just around the corner, one of which of course is the Lexus Melbourne Cup, weights for which were published overnight, and about which we'll be hearing from Executive General Manager of the Victoria Racing Club Lee Jordan and trainer Willie Mullins in a few moments' time. We'll also be bringing you a brand new series on the podcast focusing on equine health and nutrition. We'll be monitoring horses' nutrition from the cradle right through to retirement in the company of Joe Pagan from Kentucky Equine Research and Polly Bonner, Director of Thoroughbred Nutrition at Saracen. Eve Johnson-Horton is along later to tell us about a new star two-year-old that's being unleashed in the Mill Reef Stakes at Newbury at the weekend. We'll pay tribute to the amazing career of the sprint handicapper Summergand, who looks to land another big one in the Air Gold Cup on Saturday. But first of all, Nicky Henderson, leading jumps trainer, has announced that the most talked about and the most storied jumper currently in training in the UK, indeed anywhere in the world, Constitution Hill, will not be tackling the largest steeplechase obstacles this season but instead will remain over hurdles, doing what he's been doing so effectively for the last two years. This will come as a disappointment to many who are hoping he might try something different. It will delight quite a few more who just long for him to remain unbeaten in his favoured discipline. So it will divide opinion. This is how the trainer and owner Michael Buckley came to their decision. But the trainer was keen, first of all, to um, acknowledge the contribution of one very important person in this story and, and nico to be fair yeah and possibly his input was as important as any because the the, the main the main reason for that is is nothing to do with jumping fences um it's purely in our opinion stamina is not uh, guaranteed um a horse that can break track records over two miles is you have to be right for fair thinking that he's unlikely to stay three and a quarter in something like the gold cup and really there is there is nothing to be gained by going chasing for the arcall and the champion chase um you know the champion hurdle is just as prestigious as either of them so it seemed logical to stay where we are to, to what extent were you informed by that Aintree run at the back of, back of last season? I mean, we, we could, Aintree would be on the agenda for this year, I would imagine. So it wasn't it wasn't that you thought he was coming to the end of his tether at that in that race that you thought, oh, well, he might not get three miles. It probably it probably wasn't his greatest performance of of the year, but I don't. But it certainly wasn't stamina that worried him now how do you see the the season panning out are you, are you going to do well, I mean, anything different it's very certain that there are two there are only two criteria really one is that like with any horse you've got to be incredibly lucky really in this world he's been and, and he has been so far he's had two seasons but he has only had seven races he's had two seasons where he has never had an interruption of any description he's do you know what I mean? He's had a clean run the whole way through. And for any horse to do that is always, you know, you can't take it for granted. Mm. Um, 
issues creep in, you know, anything we can have, you know, you can have, we can get a cough and a cold like any other horse. You can have your horse, you know, we all have good and bad patches and um, you've got to not tread on, you know, the banana skins everywhere. And so he's, you, you've got to get lucky and and have an uninterrupted campaign. But the plan would be very much the same. You start in the fighting fifth. You've then got 24 days to the Christmas hurdle. Then the international hurdle has been moved. Um, so it's the Unibet international hurdle now goes to trials day at Cheltenham, which is the added bonus, to be fair. Um, so that gives us an extra run, you know. Mm -hmm. Then you have March, and then and the champion hurdle, we hope. And after that, well, you've got Aintree or Punchestown. And, and is, there a, is there a feeling in you that you, you'd like to take him to Ireland at some point? Uh, yes. I mean, I know when we had Sprinter and um, Richie Galway... And, and and all the guys over there, you know, desperately wanted us to to take Sprinter there. I did take him to Aintree as well. He did the three that year. It was probably a mistake um, because he wasn't again. He wasn't his most impressive at Hunterstown, but I had promised I would take him there. Um, he was there, and it was a, a most fantastic day. I mean, a day I'll never forget. Because Ireland is, they just love it, don't they? And I think they appreciate the fact that we did. Well, I know they did because it was wonderful. Um, if that's the situation again and they could tempt us over, then you, you always got to slightly worry about the ground at that time of the year. But, you know, we'll see what's happened. Let's get through Cheltenham first and then one can see. And you said he'd got nicely fat during the summer. Have you managed to get some of the weight off him now? Yeah, we are working away. Um, he's, you know, early in life we were we were struggling to get weight on him. I've gone the other way this year. Um, he's going to have to do plenty of work, but we've got plenty of time before December the second. And how's John Bond getting on? When's he likely to to kick off? Well, probably. I mean, you could run in the slur, but it only gives you. A very very short gap until the Tingle Creek. So I would thought he'd start at the Tingle Creek. Yeah, and he loves that. Will be the most likely. He proved that at Sandown in the, in, in the, at the back end when the whole point of doing that was to see if he, you know, generally could take on the the, the senior two milers. I know the the, the top Willie didn't. Um, come over you know we didn't have the, the the very top ones there but um you know he beat some good old mm. top class two milers that day and beat them well all right that was nikki henderson this is lee mod said senior ride from the racing post i mean worst kept secret least surprising piece of news of the year lee call it what you will but still are there many horses in training that attract quite the same interest as constitution hill no, there there aren't, Nick. He he is undoubtedly the headline act 
in uh jump racing he is the the star performer um others might have achieved slightly um bigger numbers but that is more because of the horses that constitution hill has been racing against so i think it, it, he he will always attract interest he always deserves to attract interest and there has been uh significant interest in what he would do in this uh in this jump season as you say i don't think it's a surprise um i spoke to nikki at sandown on the final day of the old jump season and even then nick he was making that point that it wasn't really about whether constitution hill would be equipped to jump fences it was about will he stay three and a quarter miles and half a furlong because if he they don't think he would do what's the point um it's it's clearly there's a, there's a, there's an element of disappointment in it nick because we always as fans want to see horses taking new tests facing new challenges achieving new things and the the prospect of emulating dawn run was enormously exciting um and connection had spoken themselves about the the potential uh, merits of that challenge and we know michael buckley had sounded excited about taking on a new test but equally i can understand why they've made this decision particularly as nikki is saying that um nico de boinville had raised serious questions about whether constitution hill would be effective over the gold cup distance um that being the case it probably is sensible uh to stay over hurdles and although some will say oh, it's just going to be more of the same i don't think we'd have been saying that when when frankel was going from the the queen anne to the sussex etc um you know we are in the presence of a truly exceptional racehorse and i think if you are at any point bored by the prospect of seeing constitution hill in a fighting fifth hurdle a christmas hurdle hopefully an international hurdle yeah. champion hurdle etc then you probably shouldn't be a fan of this sport well he he's always going to be great to watch this this will divide opinion i, I was the worst culprit during the frankel times of trying to get them to do something different um whether it was running him against black caviar in the golden jubilee or whether it <laughs> whether it was running him in the derby after he'd won the guineas or whether it was trying to get them to run him in the breeders cup classic um i'm i i irritated henry says will be on belief during that that those final two seasons but i guess you look back on on it and think yeah he did a pretty good job in the end well yeah absolutely and whilst you know we we would all have loved for example to see uh frankel in the arc or baid in the arc because you do want to um you do want to experience new things you want to discover things as well um, but but I was also struck by something when I when I visited um, William Haggis for a, an interview during the summer. And one of the, the the things he was talking about with the placement of horses is that you you don't want to kill a a dream. You you what you want to keep dreams alive, and to an extent that means that you maybe shy away from doing things that you don't necessarily need to do. Now, at that point, William was oh. talking about going for great voltage in between a Gordon Stakes or a St. Ledger. You don't need to run Constitution Hill over fences. You can very happily see him mop up the best hurdle races and, and, and show his brilliance 
in that way. So again, I think that's a, another thing that probably must be in the minds of connections. There's there's so many reasons why I invite you onto this podcast, but that is one of them because you have drawn me seamlessly into <laughs> the Melbourne Cup weights for which were revealed uh, overnight and. A desert hero trained by one William Haggis, and this is a classic one for him. This is a cl- we're going down this road. Do you do yeah. you roll the dice? Do you be bold? Do you take the Royal Runner down under? You heard what he had to say yesterday. This is Lee Jordan, executive general manager from the Victoria Racing Club, with a rundown on the weights for this year's Melbourne Cup. Yeah, Nick, um, it was good. We had 133 nominations. Gold Trip, who won the race last year, has been put out as a top weight with 58 and a half kilos. Um, so he's uh, the last horse that won with that weight was back in 1976 when Think Big carried around 58 and a half. So he probably has history against him a little bit. But um, no, look, it's a strong set of uh, weights. Uh, probably looking at the internationals, horse like uh, Desert Hero. Um, trained by William Haggis and obviously owned by King Charles and also Queen Camilla with 51 and a half kilos. So he's got a very good weight. It was a really good run in the St. Ledger over the weekend. So he's he's in pretty well. Um, the Japanese horse Breakup's got very good form through the Tenno Show. He's got 55 kilos. Um, some of the other locals, Sharp and Smart, Graham Rogerson, he's been, he's a triple group one winner, this horse. He's in there with 53 and a half. And a horse that probably your listeners will all know, Sulcum, who won the Melrose very impressively, um, is there with 53 and a half kilos. He sits around 25th in the order, so he's in very well as well. Um, Vauban, the um, cup favourite, uh, Willie Mullins, uh, he's got 55 kilos. The handicapper's a little bit wary of Vauban. He doesn't know. He can't obviously handicap him on potential, so he's just got to just go with the weight. I think he's worried that maybe he might even be unders at 55. And uh, absurd, as we know, one of the Eborns already in the race for Willie's there with 53. So it's, it's good, strong locals and also international flavour. All right, what's the reaction then from uh, Cla Sutton to the Melbourne Cup weights? Willie Mullins is with me now. I appreciate it because it, it's probably absolutely lashing down with you, isn't it? It is. Typical Irish weather, winter weather, but that's no harm. Uh, we need a bit of that too. Um, yeah, I think the weights came out as expected. 55 for Boban and... and um, it's a 53 for Absurd. Absurd is in even at that weight uh, because of his win in the Ebor. Yeah. So, uh, you know, hopefully Ryan might be available for the other horse and uh, we'll have to search for a jockey for uh, Absurd. But we have a few people uh, in the pipeline, so but yep. I'll just keep mum on that at the moment until we, until we get someone definitely. I mean, I know, I know. Aiden's been sort of half toying with the idea, but he seemed to be rowing back on Tower of London the other day, and I, I doubt Ryan would do the weight on a three-year-old anyway. Um, are you are you ninety-nine percent guaranteed to get Ryan more if he's fit and healthy? No, I mean we we, we have to see what Aiden is doing. Uh, so we we just we just wait. But at that weight, you know, there's um, a lot of jockeys available. Yeah. So um, yeah, we'd love to have him, but it depends on what. Uh, what Bally Doyle are doing. Okay, and I, th- I think even in Frankie's most ambitious moment, I think uh, 53 kilos, 8 stone 4 is going to be a going be <laughs> going to be a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I think cut off a leg maybe, and um, I don't think he wants to be wasting uh, to do that sort of thing, especially, you know, he'll have other fancy rides down there, so... Yeah. Um, we But uh, there are a lot of, there are a lot more later riders in the Southern Hemisphere than there are up here, so we'll... 
we manage. Are there any? I mean, you keep a pretty close eye on this kind of stuff. Are there any light locals that you that you like? Are there any ones that you kind of like the look of? Well, um, Karen McAvoy uh, looks. Uh, you know, he he did no problem do the weight if he if he wants to ride and. Um, Jack Parton riding in Hong Kong. He's very, uh, you know, he's in the, those sort of guys in the picture. Mm. Uh, Declan Bates rode for us before down there. They they can all do those weights, I think. That'll do. That'll do. How are the horses doing? Yeah. Very good. They passed their second veterinary test in Newmarket this morning. So everything looks good. Brilliant. That's that's very good news. And, and has Absurds come out of the Ebor well? He, he loved it. Did he? Yeah, it gave, it gave him great confidence. So you not that he needed any uh, the way he was treating Frankie on the way to the start. <laughs> um, that's actually quite an interesting point. I hadn't considered that. Do you think he'll be with his? He's obviously quite a character. Do you think he'll be all right down there, sort of adapting to new surrounds and so forth? It is a worry, but uh, you know, I'm I'm sending you know two tough riders down there, and um, there shouldn't be any problem. And when I came to your yard the other day, I was struck how chilled out Vauban seems. Is that him? Is he a is he a pretty chilled out kind of guy? He is. He's he's, um, he's laid back. He's fine. Willie Mullins there, and before him, Lee Jordan from the Victoria Racing Club. Uh, I think that told us quite a bit about your jockey arrangements. It looks as though Ryan Moore is going to be on Vauban, doesn't it, Lee? Unless unless Aiden bowls a curveball. Well, the, I think looking at it, Nick, the only um, conceivable way I can see that Ryan Moore won't be on Vauban in the Melbourne Cup would be if if Aidan O'Brien ran Broom in the race and um, insisted that, the, or the owners insisted that Ryan Moore rides Broom. I think those um, possibilities are extremely unlikely. I think it is 99% certain that Ryan Moore will ride Vauban in the Melbourne Cup. It's not 99% certain that Vauban will win the Melbourne Cup, but I certainly think looking at the the weight he's been given, uh, 50, uh, 55 kilos, which in our money equates around eight stone nine, I suppose, um, that gives him one hell of a chance. If you just look at purely through the, the two Mullins horses, so Vauban is on 55, Absurd's on uh, 53. So what's that? That's about 4.4 pounds yeah. uh, difference. You go back to Ascot and the the Copper Horse, Vauban, sorry, Vauban beat Absurd seven and a half lengths that day at Ascot with both horses running off the the same weight. Both have done big things since. Vauban's established himself as a uh, an established group performer. Um, and Absurd's won an Ebor as well. They've both done well. But I think if you're looking at the weights, they will have expected, I think, 55 kilos for Vauban and they will be really pleased to have got uh, 55. I think William Haggis will be delighted with 51 and a half uh, for Desert Hero. Um, and, and I think, you know, he, he is a a major player if, if he goes there off that sort of weight. Um, my, my worry for Desert Hero, I guess, would be... Um, not so much the 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 trip, although Tom Marquand raised question marks about the trip on uh, on Saturday after St Ledger, but more he was obviously keen at stages through the race. And what whilst they 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 jostled to get a position coming down the home straight first time, they then often jam on the brakes down the riverside down the back straight. And would would Desert Hero come alive at that point in the race? But I really hope he goes 
Nick. They'll have to find a new jockey. And as Willie Mullin said, he'll need to find a new jockey for absurd. Actually, Chris Waller has been speaking as, as well, Nick, today regarding Frankie the Tory, who we know rode absurd in the Ebor, and repeating that he will certainly be doing what he can uh, to ensure that Frankie de Tory has plenty of rides on the Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday of the Melbourne Cup Carnival. He acknowledges that local riders will probably get first choice on his contenders, who include the former Haggis train Solcombe and yeah. the former James Ferguson train uh, uh, Francesco Gardi. Waller will give rides to to Frankie, though, during the week. Frankie's an Aussie agent based out there, and he made the point that Frankie has said 55 kilos, great, 54 at a push there are that many options at that sort of weight i half wondered whether without a fight who runs in the sheikh mohammed abade colors um or still registered to him might be potentially an option if they went down that road or i think they're thinking more caulfield cup for him so it's not necessarily guaranteed that frankie will get a ride in the in the melbourne cup almost guaranteed that ryan moore will ride voban and one hell of a chance yeah, and just to give you an indication as to how well handicapped Vauban is, if you think, oh, God, he's got to give £7 to Desert Hero, and Desert Hero's finished third in the St. Ledger. At the moment, they're rated 114 Vauban, 110 Desert Hero. If you say that Desert Hero is going to go up a few pounds for the Ledger, they'll probably be on roughly the same mark. Your traditional weight for age scale, Northern Hemisphere, four, uh, Northern Hemisphere older horse versus Northern Hemisphere three-year-old, the older horse you think ought to be giving the three-year-old over this sort of distance around £9 this time of year, something like that. Only has to give him seven. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, and and he's Nick, at the moment he's rated four pounds as superior anyway. It just goes to show you how well handicapped Vauban is. I think he's got an extraordinarily good chance. Um, he won't run between now and the cup. So there's no possibility of a penalty being incurred. There's no reason. I don't think that you can see his price materially drifting except for exciting performances by other horses in the race which of course could happen we've got a, a string of good saturdays leading into the cup and obviously you've got the caulfield cup as a as a big trial and there's the potential for horses like Solcom and francesco gardi to shorten further but you can still get five to one about voban winning the melbourne cup i think he's a fair bit better than a five to one shot all right, well, very very important two-year-old race potentially at the weekend at Newbury, the Mill Reef Stakes, which could pit elite status, trained by Carl Burke, the National Stakes winner, against uh, the Jim Crack Stakes winner, Lake Forest of William Haggis's. But coming in on the blind side potentially is Mr. Sketch, trained by Eve Johnson-Horton, who won by about as many lengths as you can win by last time out and is, uh, is now running in the colours of Wathnan Racing. Eve Johnson-Horton's with me now from the sales in, in Fairy House. Um, Eve, always good to talk. How is Mr. Sketch and is it the plan to go this weekend? Uh, morning, Nick. Yes, he's in great form and the plan is to go on Saturday. Obviously, the weather's not looking too great at the moment, so we will keep an eye on the ground. But um, the plan is definitely to go. Um, you've obviously got one exceptionally good two-year-old that we know of so far. We'll come to him in a moment. On what you're seeing and what you have seen, what do you think of Mr Sketch? Where do you think his ability level is? Um, I think he's on the same sort of level as Indian run, he's. I mean, we don't work them together, but he's, he did a lovely bit of work on Wednesday. Um, he's improved again from his run. He didn't beat much at Salisbury, but I mean, he, he did win by nine and a half lengths, and his the time was very good. So, I mean, the form is not in the book, but it was visually very impressive. And so, therefore, he deserves his shot at pattern class. Is he an easy horse to train? Oh, very easy. He's very laid back. Um, 
he, he, he loves his work, um, loves his grub. So, yeah, he's a joy to train. You mentioned Indian run. Um, how's he getting on? And is the Dewhurst still the, the number one and only remaining target for the season? Yeah, I think we, we're aiming for the Dewhurst. There has been talk of possibly going to the Breeders' Cup, but it's um, with the Dewhurst is the main name. Um, he's in great form. Again, he is very laid back. He, he um, barely picks his feet up in the morning until he get up, hit the grass gallops, and then he's like, oh, that's a bit of fun, and off we go again. So how could you approach the Acom with the confidence that you appeared to? Because you appeared to be there thinking that he was going to run very well. If he doesn't really show much, if he's not much of an exhibitionist, how do you know that, that a horse like that can, can hack it in that sort of grade? Because what he has done, he always has done it very easily. You know, whenever we... We don't press many buttons at home. We're not a big off-the-bridle workers. But um, everything, he do, everything he works with, he always worked really well upsides. He never did more than he had to, but he always did it really well. So um, we always thought he was a lovely horse. And the way he won at Ascot was very impressive. So, and I knew it improved from there. And is there an element with these horses of the speed with which they recover from from being asked to do something significant that, that, that if they recover easily if they eat well as soon as you've asked them to do something and then just go right let me have the next thing then you kind of know you're onto something um, I don't know if it's a reflection on how good they are because obviously all horses are different some are warriors some aren't but um, at the moment I've got particularly good doers that are very relaxed horses and um, and it's great when you see them come back and, and just dive straight into their food I was quite tantalised then when you said that you were half thinking about the Breeders' Cup for Indian Run. Is that just all contingent on what happens on Dewhurst Day? Yes. Yeah. Um, is it some? Is it something instinctively that is is tempting for you or not? Um, it's in the back of our minds. <laughs> and we'll we'll leave it there. Eve, thanks so much. Look forward to seeing you at the weekend. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Eve Johnson-Horton there with a little sneak preview of what's happening this weekend. Um, that's quite high praise, saying that Mr. Sketch is roughly in the same bracket as Indian Run, because if he is, then he probably wants backing for Saturday. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, Indian Run was was excellent um, at York in, in the Aiken. Certainly look at what Mr. Sketch did last time at Salisbury. You don't get many horses winning uh, novices by nine and a half lengths. Um, got a decent RPR for that as well. A progressive individual. And, you know, we, we were saying, make this point at, at York, you know, that was an example. If you, if you give Eve Johnson Horton the talent, she she just delivers. She's a really, really good trainer. And it's great to see that this year she's not just got one decent two-year-old. She's got a, a team of them. Eve's had a tremendous season, particularly with her two-year-olds. Uh, David O'Mara continues to do well with all those older handicappers. Azano, another good winner for him last week at Sandown. There is no horse in his stable, though, that deserves more recognition than Summergand, who's amongst the favourites for this weekend's Air Gold Cup. Lee, I just wanted a, a minute on this horse because I was looking through his CV and going back to 2019, he was second in the Great St. Wilfred, fourth in the Air Gold Cup, second in the Wokingham, won the Stewards Cup in 2020. In 2021, a brace of listed races, the Abernant and the Hopeful. 2022, he won the Constantine at York. He won the Air Gold Cup. He was second in the Ben Goff. He won the Golden Rose at Lingfield. He's been second in the Great St. Wilfred this year. He's won the Constantine at York again. It's an amazing CV. And yeah, he... <laughs> If only he'd won the Wokingham, he'd have won the three great marquee handicaps. But 
he's into the air goal cup again at the weekend and you wouldn't bet against him blimey you wouldn't no he's traveled too he's raced in in dubai he's raced in Qatar. um he will be making his 85th career outing um air on saturday and this year his form has been pretty much as good as ever at the age of nine. He ran a racing post rating of 114 when he won at the, the Ebor Festival. Backed that up with a big run at the Curra last time. He must be an absolute joy to have anything to do with. And a horse with that sort of constitution is the sort of thing that that, that really um, that punters and racing fans become very attached to. It's a sort of thing that you do get, don't you, with these with these sprint handicappers, the ones that, that that appear time after time, but also regularly run to their best form. Now he has, he's had some bad runs, of course he has, but but generally in the last what four or five years, he's just been um, a thrill to watch, and you would not be at all surprised to see him go close, even with a, a ten stone one pound um, weight burden on Saturday. All right, well, you heard from Eve Johnson-Horton a few moments ago. Why was she in Fairy House? She was in Fairy House um, because she was at the sales. Um, Tattersalls Island September yearling sale begins today. It will probably be underway when you start listening to this and continues tomorrow. Has been the prolific source of uh, good two-year-olds this season. 58 two-year-old winners already have come out of the sale. And, of course, last year, remember, Streets of Gold went on that run. And that probably explains why Eve's gone back. Uh, to buy a few more. We are around the world with our, our friends at Weatherby's, around the bloodstock world, and we're not having to head too far to check in with uh, Tattersall's Island CEO, Simon Kerrins. Um, and Simon, of course, Weatherby's prepare the, the catalogue pages for you lovingly as well. Um, what is what is exciting within those pages in 2023? Oh, I think there's something for everyone, Nick. Um, we, get, um, we get all types of horses. I mean, we get plenty of forward two-year-old types, obviously, but more two-year-old winners, I think, than any other European yearling sale up to last week. Um, but you also have, you know, horses like Waikaku was sold here, who went on to be a prolific Group 1 winner in Hong Kong. Rhea Moon who won the American Oaks last year. Sonny Boy Liston, who won a ledger a couple of years ago, an Irish ledger a couple of years ago. So, there's something for everyone, we feel, um, and it's exciting time. But I guess in this crowded space, you ha- have to find your own niche, your own identity, your own feel to the sale as well. I know that's something you, you, you consider that's very important. What sort of atmosphere you're creating for, for buyers and sellers? Absolutely. I mean, look, I think people, um, you know, the perennial uh, message I get is that it, it's a fun place to come to. It's a sale that's early on in the season and um, they've obviously got a sales race to run for as well. There's a, you know, the Tats Ireland Super Auction sales stakes. It's worth 250000 now next year. Longest running sales race of its kind anywhere. Um, and, you know, we had a good winner there at the weekend, Native American who cost 75 grand here last year. So it's it's a fun place to come to. I think people invariably say they've got value here. Um, the Breeze Up guys seem to do very, very well buying here, selling at Breeze Up, you know, six months later. Um, so I suppose our niche, it's a fun place to come. It's There's always seems to be value. And there's somebody, there's a type of yearling to meet every budget. Um, and every distance, I suppose, as well. There's, there's something for everyone, we feel. And I suppose if you if you do want to stand out from the crowd and you do want to take a chance, one of those middle distance pedigrees can become quite interesting. I see you've got a you've got a half to the arc winner daydream in this year's sale. 
Yes, yeah, by Churchill, that's it. That's exactly the case. I mean, and look, sometimes, you know, one would look at that and think that's probably a, a book one pedigree. Um, as an individual, he may not stand up in book one, but they feel he may stand out here. And, you know, we get a plethora of buyers from abroad as well. And that might, that might, he might be something that would appeal to some of the buyers abroad, you know, as a stallion prospect also. So, it's not always the pedigrees here. Yes, he's one that obviously stands out, uh, a brother to, to Daydream. But there's plenty of horses here with just modest pedigrees on page. But as individuals and as specimens, people like them. And, um, you know, I, I feel there's some really, really good value to be got here. And I think there'll be plenty of winners bought. Having looked at them now over the last couple of days myself, the few sessions I'm selling, there's, um, there's, plen- there's plenty of nice horses here. Well, indulge me, if you will, in a little uh, autobiography now. It's over 26 years since, as a wide-eyed and completely clueless 18-year-old, I walked into what could only be described as my first semi-proper job, which was to work as an editorial assistant at Kentucky Equine Research. Uh, Its founder, Joe Pagan, uh, the foremost global authority in equine nutrition, was starting a publishing arm. He wanted somebody young enthusiastic, and most importantly, cheap to help him out in this endeavor. But in the eight months that ensued, I learned an enormous amount, not only about uh, horses, about equine nutrition, physiology, um, but also about the thoroughbred racing scene in Kentucky, which began a lifelong love and interest that explains and informs a lot of what I do now and a lot of what you hear on this podcast on a daily basis. So for that reason... It gives me an almost ridiculous amount of pleasure to now, quarter of a century later, be partnering up with Joe and his team, his global team at Kentucky Equine Research to tell you a bit more about the way that we feed and we look after thoroughbred horses to maximize performance and hopefully educate all of us along the way about a whole variety uh, of ways in which thoroughbreds can achieve their maximum through nutrition. Um, Joe's uh, Kentucky Equine Research works with and supplies so many uh, different partners and manufacturers around the world, including Saracen Horse Feeds. And I'm delighted to welcome Polly Bonner, the Director of Thoroughbred Nutrition, alongside Joe Pagan uh, to the show today to tell you a little bit more. Um, Joe, perhaps if I can start with you. I I don't know whether our our recollections may vary, as as people say nowadays, but is that pretty much how you remember my my introduction to Versailles, Kentucky, on a very cold day in 1997? <laughs> I do, Nick. I, I actually remember that well, and uh, I think it was good for us as well to have your insight, even as a, a young guy back then. I think it, it was very useful for us, and congratulations on going on with it. Now, it was a it, it was a wonderful start, and as I say, I, I really didn't know an awful lot about what KER did, what Kentucky Equine Research was, and how its kind of tentacles were were spreading around the globe. How, how did you get the whole enterprise off the ground in the in the first instance? Right. So first, my background is I'm trained as a scientist. I did a master's and PhD in equine nutrition and exercise physiology. Thought I was going to be a university professor, honestly. Uh, as fate would have it, I ended up in the American feed industry. And there, uh, it, I realized that there was a real void 
between what was going on in the university and what was going on in the real world. So in 1988, so a few years before you joined us in, in 96, I started Kentucky Equine Research. The idea was to be an equine nutrition and exercise physiology company specifically that would do research and most importantly, apply it into the real world. And so to do that, the idea was create a network of feed manufacturers that could use our information and pass it on to the horse owner. So early on, our research presence was pretty small. I mean, I started actually with four horses doing digestibility studies. Um, that's grown today to where we have over 30 feed manufacturers working on six continents. And our research presence now we have, I, I would say probably we're the biggest either private or public equine nutrition and exercise physiology research group in the world. And so the, we do a lot of this work at research facilities in Kentucky's where our main facility, but we've branched to Ocala, Florida, where we have a research facility that has a thoroughbred race track attached to it. So we can do that type of work. The interesting thing that happened though, Nick, was at first, we were disseminating all this information from our research labs. But as we started to work with all of these feed manufacturers and farms around the world, we discovered that was a major source of the information we had for research. And so from one of our early partners, Hallway in Kentucky, Saracen in UK, Australia, Japan, India, South Africa, we've accumulated a tremendous amount of information about thoroughbred horses, particularly how they grow and develop. And so it's really become a, a great system for us to learn from the boots on the ground uh, about what's going on and and keep our eyes on the, the, the idea of the relevance of this and not get lost in the ivory tower of doing just research for research sake. Holly, you're um, one of the partners and beneficiaries of of the work that that Joe and his team have developed over the last thirty years. Um, how, to what extent, has that made Saracen what it is today? Oh, the partnership has been a complete game changer, both personally for me in the amount I've learned, but also for our company. Um, it means that our own team of registered nutritionists who are based here in the UK get to work with some of the best scientific brains in the world in the US and Australia so it's been massive from every respect but most importantly they're practical horsemen at the same time as joe said they're not in lab coats in an ivory tower they're they're fully involved in every aspect and it's meant that we've got really meaningful nutritional solutions we can provide to our own clients and and everything just all slots in together because we've got a direct line into the research that's going on that is so up to date and so so topical it's been fantastic i might just apologize there's a thunderstorm going on above my head here in newmarket <laughs> so sorry about that if there's thunder crackling around it's just started you sound great it's gone a bit green here outside my window as well uh, sort okay. of a, a kentucky looking skyline you might say uh, <laughs> we're going to talk over the next few months about how you feed and develop young horses about how you can maximize thoroughbred performance about how you prepare a horse for the sales with the right nutrition about how you feed your horses very importantly very topically 
with integrity. All of those subjects we're, we're going to cover. Polly, I want to ask you, is what you put in a thoroughbred's feed bowl now very different to what you did three or four decades ago? It's much more sophisticated and and that we've just got a much deeper understanding because of Joe's work. I mean, this is over 30 years of pure equine science and nutrition detail that we're able to harness and utilize. And it just has meant that I think people can have a greater appreciation of what they're doing and why, and then see the corresponding responses in the horses themselves. So probably, we're gosh sorry big clap of thunder we're constantly looking for potential new feed ingredients but actually a lot of it we've learned is how to combine them to make them really work and be easy on the horse's digestive system at the same time and joe when when i came to work for you you know i was struck by how you were introducing new concepts to the industry and telling what is a very traditional very rooted in its own heritage industry, how they might do things better. How challenging has that been over the years to try and push the boundaries a little bit, to try and show people that they can do something differently for the benefit of their horses? Because it can be a it can be a very, very um, uh, insular uh, world, the world of thoroughbred racing in particular. Yeah, and it's it's been a challenge, but it's been really successful because when I started this in thoroughbred racing particularly, most of the trainers were feeding their own home mixes. They were mixing straight ingredients and whatnot. And today, whether it's in Australia or England or or the U.S., almost every successful thoroughbred trainer is using a mixed feed. They understand that there's there is a reason to have balanced nutrition. And so from the late 1980s to now, it's been completely different. And so there has been adaptation over time. You've got to, I think the thing we have going for us, if we introduce a new concept, is we provide proof for why it's good. And so I think that's an important thing. I'll have to say also, kind of our philosophy about what we're trying to achieve has changed over time. In the exercise physiology space, 30 years ago, it was probably about how can we get them to go faster? And now I think it's a little bit more how can we get them to go safer and sounder? So that's a real change in terms of the philosophy of what we're trying to accomplish. And also the technology that we have now for making measurements is crazy different than what it was in the 1980s, but it's even different than it was 10 years ago. And we're seeing things that we could never see before, which is really exciting. And and can you see the manifestation of that, Polly? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think more and more people are feeling more comfortable about needing a greater understanding if they're going to be as competitive, either as a breeder or as a trainer, against their peer group, because everybody always is looking for that extra edge, that little percentage win that that you want racing or, or breeding, whichever way you look at it. I remember, I never forget when when Joe came to uh, visit some of my mother's young stock at her small farm in Hampshire many years ago. And she just had a couple of national hunt foals out in the field. And he just looked at them and turned away and said, I I think you've got your selenium balance wrong in your feed. 
which clearly <laughs> to somebody who'd been breeding horses for years was a bit of a was a bit of a culture shock. Um, <laughs> I said, "Mum, meet meet Dr. Joe Pagan." Um, uh, but th- this is the kind of level of granularity we're talking about. Joe, on that note, next time we convene, we'll be between the major sales. We've just had Keeneland. We're going to do another um, session before book one uh, at Tattersall's about, about growing and developing young horses. I know that is something, it's a massive passion of yours as you relate to, to, to talk about keeping horses sound and keeping them healthy. You know, just the just give us a taster of the importance of how you feed foals and weanlings. Yeah. And again, this goes back to what I was saying before about the value of big data. You know, the problem is when you're talking about trying to sort out a problem, if you're if you're only looking at a few individuals, you can get it wrong. But to be able to look at huge numbers uh, at the same time, and, and in our case, internationally, it starts to make sense. And so we're looking at, we're finding that sales yearlings, for instance, and this, I guess, is a bit of a tease to the next uh, talk, they're different in Kentucky than they are in UK. What buyers are looking for in terms of the size of the, the yearlings and also the ones that are successful. Uh, it seems that we've got a different breed, but by us being able to look at how horses grow and develop in these major breeding areas and see what's successful and what's not successful has been really, really useful for us over the last few years. Well, it's going to be a an enormous learning experience and a great pleasure as the next few months progress to to understand the thoroughbred better and if it is true and we know it is true uh, the old adage you are what you eat uh, our collective understanding of these animals that we love and look after will be greatly enhanced in partnership with uh, saracen horse feeds and kentucky equine research polly bonner joe pagan thank you both so much thank you all right my thanks to joe and to polly and to all my guests today lee motter's head is still with me and lee has something for you for today he does. Um, he's taking you to uh, Great Yarmouth. The 510 race, the uh, East Coast Air Ambulance Handicap, features a horse trained by um, the uh, Kublis, Forest Demon. Um, Jim Crowley rides. Um, was a good winner two starts ago at Newmarket. On that occasion, um, a tongue tie was applied, then ran uh, last time. Uh, and on that occasion, the, the tongue tie came off uh, at the start of the race, I think, with... <laughs> With, with better luck on this occasion, he can go close. So at a decent price, I'm going to go for Forest Demon for the Kublers in the 5-10 at Yarmouth. Did you listen to our debate yesterday about the singing of the National Anthem and whether it should or shouldn't go up at the end? Well, I'm pleased we've now got on to the, the truly important uh, subject matter, Nick, of this pod and indeed yesterday's pod. I did indeed listen to this. Um, I thought about tweeting something in response but some people can get very far on on this sort of subject on twitter but i would like to say um that i completely agree with with dave yates i also hugely dislike um that rising octave at the end i, th- I think it was dave's line sort of vulgar or something i i i i know what he means i just don't think it sounds nice nick either um i also well my other half regularly tells me he doesn't like what he refers to as the twiddly bits in the national anthem so whilst the twiddly bits aren't as significant or serious as the the rising octave mm-hmm. um I, I i completely agree with dave i also would say i would like more regularly to hear the second verse 
of the national anthem uh, play. We have we have quite you... a short national anthem. I, I quite like the second verse. Can you actually sing it? Uh, so hang on. Um, uh, <laughs> without without uh, looking at without googling. I can't. It's, without it's, googling it. It's defend our laws, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Give us cause, sing with heart and voice. God save the uh, king. Um, yeah, I, I I I like it. They played it. I remember being uh, at the. Uh, rehearsal of the opening ceremony of London 2012 when they did it there and you don't often hear the second verse you hear it last night the proms and things like that um and I I, I, I think it, it, you get more for your money with the second verse but more pressing Nick are removing the twiddly bits and that rising octave uh, as somebody says on Reddit, like everyone else here, I hate that it's become a way for singers to show off their pipes rather than honor the anthem by adhering to the original melody. Couldn't agree more. Um, on that note, we will leave you. If you do enjoy this podcast, I don't know whether this is the right time to ask for a rating and a review, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, please leave us a review wherever you consume your pods and indeed a rating. Uh, it all helps. Uh, we will, in the meantime, see you again tomorrow. That was Tuesday, the 19th of September. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.